Well, tonight, I want to talk to you about, from the book of 1 Peter, as we continue going through, you know, I just entitled the message real simply, Born Again. What do we mean by born again? What is it that uh, Jesus meant when he said born again? You know, we only have one time where Christ said that, but we have several other places in the scriptures where he used that phrase, born again. I believe, I could be wrong, but I believe it's in the old King James Version where it says, all men are like grass, grass. they wither and fade away. And I remember one time a woman telling me who didn't have very positive experience with me, and she says, I've come to believe that scripture, all men are like grass, they wither and fade away. But tonight, that's talking about not just men, it's about all of us. So would you stand with me this evening out of respect for the Word? And let's look at 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 23, and we're going to read through chapter 2, verse 3. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding Word of God, for all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. So put away all malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. And like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk. So by it you may grow up into salvation or into salvation. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Father, as we continue our study in the book of 1 Peter, and we ask you that uh, you would just open our eyes that we may see Christ. Lord, open our hearts that, Father, our hearts of compassion may grow. Increase our faith, Lord, and then give us the ability to be able to share with others this incredible good news of what Christ has done in our lives. For it's in Jesus' name I pray. And everyone said... Amen. God bless you. You can be seated tonight. Sometimes I've been asked the question, why do I need to be born again? And my simple answer to people when they ask me that is because everybody's perishing. Everybody's dying. Everybody's withering away. We're made, the scripture's very clear, we're made of perishable seed. The seed, the life that you and I were born with, it's a perishable life. It doesn't have a very long shelf life when you look at the gist of eternity. And today when we talk about Marcella or we talk about uh, uh, Fred this evening or when we talk about your loved ones like my father or Becky's father, indeed it doesn't seem like a long shelf life. But for those of us who have been born again and have this confidence in us, we know that those that we love who died in Christ, they have not perished, but they are still living. It's always important, and I try to do this over and over, especially on midweek services, but occasionally even on a Sunday morning service, uh, when we have many more people who haven't committed their lives to Christ, those who are still just investigating and looking into this, just like a couple of weeks ago, we had a a man who's an atheist who's come. This is, you know, he's made several visits, and, but he's listening. He's curious. He's asking questions. And, but every once in a while, for folks who don't understand that, I'll just simply say, remember the context for which we're reading this in. So we don't want to just pull this out of context about being a born again. We want to look at it in the context of what Peter is writing to the church about. First of all, we've already established in the messages that we've looked at already is that 
This is a suffering church. This is a persecuted church. And if you're using the Bible journals that uh, we provided for you, then maybe you've already written that down. The second thing to remember is what we just spent five weeks looking at, and that is Peter tells them you've got to live a holy life. And we talked about the beauty of holiness, and it wasn't a negative word. Last week, I, or two weeks ago, I began the message by saying, you know, when we talk about holiness, some people just kind of immediately pull back and says, the last thing I want to do is be beat up and told how bad I am. But that's not what the message of holiness is all about. It's, a, it's the love, the peace, the joy, the kindness, the patience, the long-suffering, the tenderness. Who wouldn't want that kind of life? Who in their right mind would not want that kind of life? But when I look at this and I think about my years as a pastor, I think about all the years that I preached the gospel, then I, I stop to think and consider what is it that Peter is really getting at here? Because as a pastor, I have seen trouble, hardship, persecution. I've seen that soften some people. I've seen it harden some people. I've seen it make some people bitter. I've seen it make some people sweeter. I've seen the persecution and the hardships, hardships of people sometimes has purified them, and it has made them into what we would call those steadfast rocks, those steadfast folks who have been through the fire, and their faith has been tempered, and they're much more patient, they're much more loving, they're more kind. Because they've gone through the fire. And then those other people that you meet, they've gone through the fires of persecution or trouble or hardship or sickness or whatever it might be. And they've been crushed. They've been broken. They've become hard and they're bitter. And so sometimes I've had to ask myself, what causes two people who go through the same sort of suffering? And I can use cancer. I can use divorce. I can use the death of a child. I could list any number of things in the 40-plus years of ministry that I've had that I've seen it make some people better, some people bitter. It's kind of like the old saying, and I'm sure you've read it before, but the same clay that melts wax, the same sun that melts wax hardens clay. And the difference is not in the sun. The difference is not in the persecution. The difference is not in the trial. The difference is in how the clay or how the wax, it's the chemical composition of both of them. And the difference in trials and tribulations and hardships and persecutions that people face going through the same sort of trauma, it's not the sun, it's not the trouble. It's not the cancer, it's not the divorce, it's not the loss of a child, it's not the loss of a job, it's not a financial reversal. It's the same thing as clay and wax. One is going to become soft, one's going to become hardened. And so tonight, as I think like that in this context, there's where Peter begins to write about being born again. You see, for some people, trials and persecutions, as Peter is writing to this church, and then he'll write a second epistle that we look at as well, some people will become greater, some people will become smaller. Some people's hearts will enlarge and some people's hearts will shrink because of how they respond to the trial and whether or not they've been born again, whether or not they have received the Word of God that is able to save their souls, the Word of God that's able to transform their lives. There's another danger that 
Peter doesn't really write about here, but if you'll let me just toss us out, and that's the danger of passivity. And that's where we don't come to this life, like Peter will also say later in his epistle, that no good soldier entangles himself in the affairs of the world. He prepares himself. He gets ready for the battles. Some people are just passive in his kesarasarah. What's going to be is going to be, and they let life run over them. There is a passage, and I can't remember the exact reference for it, but in the book of Proverbs, the, amp- the Amplified Version translates one phrase, the old Amplified Version, if you ever read that, the old Amplified Version translates one phrase, that the person who won't do anything to heal himself is akin to the person that commits suicide. In other words, if you were to want to put that in street-level terms today, the person who won't exercise, the person who won't eat right, the person who becomes a couch potato and just lets their life waste away, the Amplified Version translates that proverb and says it's like committing suicide. Passivity will kill a church. Passivity will kill a marriage. Passivity will kill a family. And so, I bring that out because Peter is writing to this suffering in this persecuted church, but he's also writing in the context is don't just let the enemy roll over you. For later in this epistle, he will say, Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Take your stand in Christ. Be strong in the Lord. And so tonight what I'd like to look at is what he says that we spent five weeks looking at. There's this internal process that can change your life and it's called holiness. We've looked at holiness of mind. We've looked at holiness of will. We've looked at holiness of heart. We've looked at what holiness really is, as Peter has shared it with us in this epistle. Something about holiness is, is breathtaking. Something about holiness is, is fascinating. Something about holiness is so beautiful that it is so far distant from what I understood holiness to be as a child, where it was some people thinking they were better than others. Holy people are the most beautiful and wonderful and comely people that I know of because they're the people who really care. They're the people who feed the hungry, clothe the naked, share the gospel. But at the same time, i got to be honest with you, when I think about holiness, it's rather intimidating too. And I think that's why Paul writes, I mean why Peter writes right here where he does. God directs him to write where he does because he's just taken us to such a lofty place of holiness that he will say to us, but you know, you've been born again. And that born again brings such hope because he starts the very second chapter, verse 1, that I read to you just a moment. He starts the very next chapter. He says, you've got to put away all malice, deceit, and hypocrisy. We won't really deal with that tonight. But let me go back, and I want to just take you for a little bit tonight to look at why this is central. Being born again is central to all we believe. It's central. It's why Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 23, you have been born again. Now, for years, and I have to be honest with you, for years I wouldn't use that phrase because back in the, the days of, of the moral majority, back in, and I'm not faulting that, that was a good movement. But I found out all of a sudden that in those days, 
Becky and I were ministering on university campuses. I was speaking on a lot of university campuses. And even when I first came here, I did a message or two on that back in 1999. I did a message or two, and some of you have been with me that long. You will remember that. Where I talked about why we wouldn't use this phrase, born again, a lot. Because a lot of people today consider being born again an option. is because they misunderstand what born again is. If you listen to the news... Born again is a political party. As a matter of fact, you'll hear these phrases, the born-againers. They're talking about those of us that are evangelical. They're talking about those of us who believe what Jesus said. A lot of mainline denominations don't even talk about being born again. Some very intellectual people that I've talked to says that, you know, being born again is for emotional people that need a lot of drama in their lives. And I've had the privilege of sitting down and dialoguing with presidents of universities and professors of universities and others who have just sat down and said, no, that's not an understanding of what born again is. And take them back to the story of Nicodemus. I remember one particular university that I was speaking at. The president of the university came to hear me speak that Sunday morning in the same town at one of the churches there. And then afterwards, we were able to talk. And he had all kinds of questions because in his mind, born again was an option. It wasn't something that his church taught. If, if any of you were old enough to remember when President Reagan debated with uh, Jimmy uh, Jimmy Carter, he said that born again is not a phrase that we use in our church, but he said, I have repented of my sins and put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Well, if you've done that, you've been born again. But born again is it's not an option. And I use that phrase a little more now around here because the people I know, they know me. And the people that I do life with, they know me. And they know that for me, born again doesn't mean I think I'm better than other people. For me, that I'm born again doesn't mean that I'm a mean person or a ni- not a nice person because that's what some people have thought about born again. In other words, born again is central to everything I believe about the gospel that Jesus said you must be born again. And I think it's a misunderstanding of why Peter is writing like this because some people reduce salvation to a moral code. Some people reduce salvation to something similar to this. Jesus was a good man, and he came to offer us God's love and forgiveness. Well, I wholeheartedly agree with that. God came to offer us God's love and forgiveness, so therefore, let us model Jesus' love and forgiveness, and let's love one another and forgive one another. Well, I agree with that, but you've missed an important statement because now what you have done is you've gone from a truth to you've gone to an impossible statement, and that is, let us live like Jesus. If the Jewish people could not keep the law, and the apostle Paul, the Pharisee of Pharisees, would write and say, all have sinned, all have fallen short of the glory of God, how am I? I going to model the life of Jesus unless something radical and transformative takes place in my life, and Jesus calls that being born again. And that's what takes away the intimidating factor. Jesus loved God with all of his heart, soul, mind, and strength. I'm telling you, family, if we loved God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, the gates of hell would not stand a chance in our community anywhere.
Jesus loved his neighbor as he loved himself. I'm telling you, if we loved our neighbors as we loved ourselves, last night I had this check in my spirit to slow down and I was kind of in a hurry to get home because I was running late from what time I told Benjamin and Amy I would be home, and I, I, and, but I, I, I just obeyed, and about that time, this yellow car pulled right out, yellow Dodge Challenger tag number, I could tell you everything, just pulled right out on my bumper, and if I hadn't slowed down, there would have been a, a collision, but I can tell you, that lady looked at me like it was my fault, and she was the one pulling out of the parking lot, you know, into the, into the street, and what first came through my mind was that, God bless you, dear sister, I know that you're having a bad day. And I won't tell you what came through my mind, because Jesus has forgiven me, cleansed me, and tossed it behind into the sea of forgetfulness, I sure hope so. You see, the harder I try to become like God, the harder I try on my own, listen to me, don't miss this, the harder I try to become like God on my own, the further from God I get the further from the Lord I get. And I'll illustrate that to you in just a moment. You see, the new birth that Jesus promises, it's not just about forgiveness and pardon. It's not just about God's love and forgiveness, as I tried to illustrate some people thinking a while ago. But to be born again, Jesus promises power. Jesus promises a new nature. Jesus promises new life. Jesus says that his very actual life is going to be in us. I'll show you that in just a moment. He says to us that he is able, in Hebrews 7, 25, it's not in your outline, but he is able to save to, to the uttermost those that come unto God. He'll have a conversation with Nicodemus, and he'll say, Nicodemus, look, I know who you are. You're this incredible man, but you are not going to enter the kingdom unless you've been born again. And it just blows Nicodemus out of the water. He goes, how, how can that be? He says to a woman at the well, he says, you know, I will give you water that will spring up inside of you like a living well. It will be living water. That was, a, it was a, 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 an analogy of what being born again is. Paul will use that, for, uh, we'll talk about it in another way. Uh, uh, John chapter 10, Jesus will say it again, life and life more abundantly. Look at that with me. John chapter 1, verse 12, to all who believed him and accepted him, read this with me, he gave the right to become children of God. Read it again. He gave the right to become children of God. Now, how are they reborn? They were reborn not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, and he's not being negative about human passion or planning, but from a birth that comes from God, from a birth that comes from God. Now, I want you to listen carefully because I don't have time to deal with this tonight. As Gentiles, we are adopted into the family of God. As Christians, we have been born again. Do you get the difference? As Gentiles, we've been grafted in, but as human beings, when we receive the Lord, we've been born again. We'll talk about that later in another night as we go through this. James chapter 1 and verse 18, he chose to give birth to us by giving us his true word. So Peter, Paul, and Mary, I mean Peter, Paul, and James, they all say, <laughs> I'm tired. Time Wednesday night gets here, four o'clock comes early in the morning. They all say, you're going to be born again, and Jesus says it as well. Number two, it's necessary. It's not optional. It's necessary. In verse 24, all 
All flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this is the good news that was preached to you. The good news of what? The good news about being born again. Now, let's just take Nicodemus for just a moment because Nicodemus, in my mind, is one of those Bible characters. He's got it all. Nicodemus is, is a, he has deep, rich biblical knowledge. Nicodemus is a member of the Sanhedrin, which means he's a civic leader as well. Nicodemus is a Pharisee. He was morally scrupulous in every way. And you say, but Pastor Jesus didn't like the Pharisees. No, he didn't like the Pharisees very much, but he loved Nicodemus because Nicodemus put it all on the line. He put his position with the Sanhedrin. He put his position in the community. Nicodemus loved Jesus, and he came to Jesus and was willing to be taught by Jesus when the other Pharisees did not even want to listen to Jesus and were trying to trap him. Nicodemus was a different kind of man. And Jesus said to Nicodemus, he said, Nicodemus, all of these good things about your life, they count for nothing unless you've been born again. Now, friends, modern human beings, modern men, modern women would have looked at you or me and said, what do you mean it counts for nothing? The hard work, the sacrifices that I made, it counts for nothing. Jesus says it counts for nothing unless you've been born again because you won't even see the kingdom of heaven. Jesus even says to Nicodemus these words. You remember these words when I say them. He goes, Nicodemus, marvel not. Instead of getting angry, Nicodemus must have looked like a child on Christmas morning. Do you remember how you would look when you would look at the Christmas packages and the trees and the light? I remember my children. Last night, Davin wanted to Skype with me, my grandson, and so Andrew sent me a text, and, and uh, when we, the screens came up, uh, Andrew wanted to talk to you for a minute, and Davin goes, pushes his daddy away, he goes, shoo, daddo, shoo. And so he's talking to me, he says, Papa, you remember when we went to eat together? I said, yes, we went and got hot dogs, and his eyes lit up, he says, I love that. I said, I love that too. And then I said, do you remember when we went to get ice cream? He goes, I love that. Just like I said it, I love that. And then I said, he goes, do you remember when we went to swing in the park? I said, yes. He goes, you swung me real high, Papa. I goes, I did. He goes, I love that. You know, oh, you could see it in his face, the marvel. And we were laughing. You could hear Dana and Andrew laughing in the background. There's this sense that Nicodemus was becoming like a child. He was a candidate, but he has the question we all have. How can I be born again? Well, I'll come back to that as well, but we don't have time for all that tonight. But let me help you when you're trying to help your lost friends. Years ago, when I first started flying, how many of you remember your first airplane flight? You remember your first flight? You'll never forget it, will you? I, I, I remember my first airplane flight, and I remember looking down and evidently, we went much further than 20,000 feet or something. And, and I knew there were hills. I knew there were mountains. But everything I saw, it, it seemed to be about the same level. I've hiked a lot of mountains since then, in the Andes and the Alps and in and, and, and Asia. I, I've hiked these mountains. 
And I was reading something one day about sight and distance. And when I read this, it just kind of blew me away, and I went all the way back to my first airplane flight. If you're standing at sea level, and you look at somebody, they're standing at a hundred-foot tall hill, they look like they're a long way from you. And if you're at the hundred foot looking down, that person looks like they're a long way from you. But if you were on top of Mount Everest and you were to look down, then the person at a hundred foot and the person at sea level, if you could see them, would look like they were the same distance. And I think that's an excellent illustration of what Paul was saying all have sinned, all have fallen short of the glory of God. Because we want to compare sometimes how bad a person has been to compare to how good we are. None of our goodness will ever save us. It's only what Christ did for us at Calvary. Does that make sense? And for me, that was a helpful way of looking at it. You see, when you are not born again, and you live in your sin, you're saying this. And this is what I say to some of my friends sometimes when they have questions about, you know, how can you be sure? When you're doing this, you're saying, you know, I'm good enough to be my own Savior, which means I'm also good enough to be my own judge, which means I'm also good enough that when I die to resurrect myself again so that I'm going to have another life. Because what you're banking on in reincarnation is an idea or a dream that your spirit is eternal and you're just going to come back and you don't know if it's going to be a, a, a rodent or if you're going to be an emperor, you know. You're just, you're just banking on something. You see, we have this sure confidence and knowledge. We're not calling the shots. We're looking to Jesus to save us. I... I'd go into a lot of hospitals. I'd go into a lot of nursing homes. Sometimes I'm there when they're giving the pain meds. And sometimes I see the pain meds help people suddenly, really quickly get out of pain. I remember when we worked in mental health, and when I worked in mental health, and sometimes we would have a patient and just got agitated and hostile, and the nurses would give a shot, and how that patient would just begin to calm down and just immediately. I've seen some laugh. I've seen some cry. I've seen some go to sleep doing that. I've always marveled at how quickly that it happens. The point I'm trying to make is every one of us, every one of us know what the pain of sin is all about. And what Jesus is doing here, and I want you to listen, what Jesus is doing here, and I hope this will get you and you'll never forget it, Jesus is putting Nicodemus into the same category as the woman caught in adultery, as Mary Magdalene, or as Zacchaeus, the tax collector. Nicodemus was a good man. But just like the tax collector and like Mary Magdalene, he wasn't going to see the kingdom of heaven until he's been born again. And that's part of the offense of the gospel, is that sin makes us want to believe that we're better than some people. We may have lived more moral lives than some people. We may have made better decisions than some people. 
Some people in our culture are trying religions, they're trying drugs, they're trying everything that eats their souls away, trying to save themselves. But beloved, those of us who know the Lord and love Him, we know that you must be born again. Can you say amen? Well, the third thing, and now we'll pick up the pace just a little bit, is it's a definite event. It's a definite event. It's something that, it happened. The phrase, you've been born again, it's a Greek perfect past tense. And what that means, and, and, and I, I have to, and, and I'm not trying to sound smart, but you need to see this. It's because a Greek perfect past tense is something happened. There was a specific place and time. Something happened, and the effects of what happened then continue infinitely into the future. Does that make sense? The effects of what happened right then continues infinitely into the future. So, in my life, I was accepted into Southeastern University. And I study there, and I am continuing to this day to experience the benefits of that wonderful education that I had. I was accepted into the Assemblies of God Theological Seminary, and I've experienced the benefits of that ongoing experience. I was born again in my particular life, January the 18th, 1972, I was born again, and I have experienced the benefits of that ever since then. And it goes all the way into eternity, and it will never, ever stop. There's a ride that I can't stand at Disney World. It's the one with the little shaking heads doll singing, it's a small world after all. Don't look at me like that. That is just a foretaste of Dante's Inferno to me. It just never ends. Never ends. And you see, friends, hear me tonight. I just made some enemies in here tonight. You got to love me. You got to forgive me if you've been born again. You see, something happened to you. You may not remember the moment. I talk to so many people and they say, Pastor, you know the day. Yes, I do. But the best stories of those children who grew up loving the Lord and knowing God and serving God, and, and they've just loved you somewhere, someplace at some time, that child was born again. Do you remember, any of you remember Dr. C. Everett Koop? He was the Surgeon General of the United States, and he, along with Francis Schaeffer, produced that wonderful video series on um, the future of the human race. Dr. Coop said that because a friend of his invited him to 10th Avenue Presbyterian Church in Philadelphia, in his book, he began attending church because of an invitation. He said, about a year later, for some unexplained reason, I continued to go back, and then one day it just dawned on me. I believed everything that the pastor was saying. I believed everything that the Bible was saying. I agreed with everything, and it dawned on me, I had been born again. He said, I don't remember the exact time or the exact date, but he says, I have been born again. As a pastor, Becky and I have had this wonderful experience of being with people when your babies were born. 
And some of you mothers, you're going to really relate to what I'm going to say right now. Maybe guys won't get it as much, but we have a good friend, Pam King, who got in touch with us not too long ago. And Pam and her husband have just retired from the Air Force, and he had a, a, just a prestigious career rising up through the ranks and, and serving all the way to the Pentagon and serving overseas. But we were with Pam and her husband the first night. The, if you've ever heard me talk about Oslo, the dog, the big St. Bernard that would come over while I was grilling. That was the king's. Anyway, she was in labor for three days, contractions for three days, just such horrible pain. I won't call who, but we've got a lady in our congregation when she has a baby, two contractions, boop, she's got a baby. You see, some people, it may take three days and hundreds and hundreds of contractions for a little thumper to come into the world. And some ladies, if you don't get them to the hospital right away, they're going to have that baby in the backseat of the car. Do you follow what I'm saying? It's the same way. Every birth is different. Some people feel a lot of pain. Some people feel a lot of pressure. Some babies come in kicking and screaming, and you've got a healthy baby. And then some babies like our little Josiah come into the world and they got to go immediately to NICU. You see, every birth is different. But here's my question. Listen to me. Here's my question. Look at me. Don't miss this. Are any of those babies more born than any of the other babies? It's a very difficult question to pose because it almost sounds foolish. And the fact that a child doesn't remember when, but they've just always loved Jesus, and Dr. Coop doesn't remember when, and I remember January the 18th, 1972. Friends, they're just as born again as those of us that can pinpoint the day we gave our hearts to Christ. Can we give the Lord a hand of praise for that tonight? I think that's powerful. It's a supernatural event. Number four, it's a supernatural Just skip on down that. It's, it's a supernatural event. Now, and I hate to do this, but I just want you to see because... Again, the word is just a little bit different. The Greek word born is yanao. Yanao. And yanao means, can mean a generation or, listen, it can mean a generation or generate life. But the word Peter uses here is ana yanao. And again, I'm not trying to impress you or sound more educated than what I am, I just want to bring this out to you. Because the word anayanao is not a feminine word. It's the masculine word of the father implanting the seed or insemination. It's the same word that would be used for planting seed into a field. You see, what has been planted in me and what has been planted in you is imperishable seed is what the Apostle Peter writes. What I was born with is perishable seed. And the older I get, this body begins to fall apart. I was talking to Pastor Rick, there you are, when we were leaving the hospital today, and uh, we were coming down the escalator with um, Carlene. And uh, I was impatient waiting on the escalators, and I wasn't going to say anything, but they got impatient. And I said, well, I never wait on the escalators. I use the stairs. We were talking about the stairs, and I said, you know, I can run up the stairs, but I can't run down them because my knees won't do that after all the years of running anymore. I can't run down them, but I can run up them. And 
So I use the stairs because I'm impatient, not necessarily trying to be healthier. The point is, this body is perishable seed. My old life was perishable seed, but my new life is now. It is imperishable seed. And the effects of the divine life of God being planted in me and planted in you when we confess our sins and acknowledge Jesus as our Savior, or we grew into it as a child, or somehow or another it just kind of happened as we more and more put our faith in Jesus like Dr. Coop, but the effects of it goes all the way into infinity and beyond, as one cartoon character likes to say. Let's give him another hand of praise for that. That's exciting to me. You have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding Word of God. What is that seed? In 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 4, he says, you become partakers of the divine nature of God. It's pressed into us. It's supernatural. Number five, what Peter is saying here about born again it's just a complete event. It's a complete event. It's a very radical thing. It's the reason Jesus uses His Word. Plants, let's take plant life for just a moment. Plant life can sense things. They can sense light. I have read some studies that said that all the plants in a room can sense when you're cutting or pruning your other plants. You know, I don't know how much I buy into that, but it's, that is interesting. You know, a Venus flytrap can sense an insect landing on it and snap shut. They, there's this ability to sense things. Animals, they have this ability to think and to see colors and to smell. But humans have another ability. We're capable of rational thought. Animals, instinctive thought. They fly where they go. They migrate where they go. It's all instinct. But you and I, we're capable of being rational human beings and changing. That's the reason that when somebody comes to a place that they're no longer able to function and the brain, and the brain doesn't function, we say that basically they become a vegetable because they're not even any capable any longer of, vegetable, of, of, of animal life. And we use that phrase crassly, I believe, because I think it devalues life, but that's a subject for another time. We say that person has become a vegetable. Follow with me. When you are born again, you have been moved into the highest order of life that is the very life of God. God from whom all things exist, God from whom all love exists, compassion, power, and holiness. It's why the apostle would write, this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. My old life is gone, and a new life has begun. Why? Because of the imperishable seed of God that has been planted inside of me. Can you say praise the Lord tonight? You have this life inside of you. Your old life is gone. You wouldn't have liked the old me. I don't like the old me, but the new me. The, it's not an improved me. I don't want a new and improved me. If you want to sell something, you can sell laundry detergent by saying new and improved. It's still soap. But this new life is the highest order of life that it is. It's God. And then finally tonight, it's a very coherent event. 
It's a coherent event this evening. Martin Luther records of how his long struggle of seeking God, and I've recommended a couple of movies on his life before to you, and Roland Bainton's book, Here I Stand. But Martin Luther records of reading and meditating upon the book of Romans, where the Scripture says the just shall live by faith. Luther had come to a point of where he was just totally angry with God, in despair, knew he was going to hell. But as he meditated upon that, life exploded into him because he believed it. He believed it and he accepted God's grace into his heart. Now listen, he accepted God's grace into his heart and life and was born again. One man experiencing the power of being born again rocked the world and no event since the birth of our Savior has so divided time like Martin Luther's having been born again and that's part of the reason that you and I sit in this church tonight don't you ever underestimate Jimmy Jenna, don't ever underestimate the power and the life of God within you tonight. That's the reason you can say with Christ, with God, all things are possible. Would you stand with me this evening and let's read our final verse from the book of Titus chapter 3 tonight. Would you read this out loud with me? When God our Savior revealed His kindness and love, He saved us, not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of His mercy. He washed away our sins, giving us a new birth and new life through the Holy Spirit. He generously poured out the Spirit upon us through Jesus Christ our Savior. And because of His grace, He made us right in His sight and gave us confidence that we will inherit eternal life. And everybody said, Our Father, tonight, thank you. This is not a political movement. This is not an option. This is not some people thinking they're better than other people. Lord, this is all of us. All of us who have fallen short of the glory of God. Being so loved being so loved that you would give your only son to take away our sins to take away our sicknesses Lord there was a double curse upon us you didn't create us to die, you didn't create us to be sick you created us to enjoy life with you forever and oh Jesus when you came you broke that double curse by providing a double cure for us. When you took upon us yourself, Lord, you took our sins and our sicknesses. And Isaiah prophesied this double cure that he took our sins. He took our sicknesses. And Lord, 
the imperishable seed of your life has been planted within us. Never, ever let us give up or underestimate this new nature given to us in Christ, I pray. And everyone said, amen, amen, and amen. The Lord bless you. I hope you have a wonderful evening, rest of the week. Don't forget Sunday. If you need prayer tonight, Pastor Rick and I are going to pray with some folks tonight. But if you need prayer and would like to be anointed with oil, just come on down and join us tonight here at the altar right away. God bless you.